Welcome to the second season of the PEBC podcast. My name is Michelle Jones, and I will be hosting our series on phenomenal teaching. In season two, we will take a deeper dive into how the strands of the PEBC teaching framework of planning, community, workshop, thinking strategies, discourse, and assessment cultivate student agency, equity, and understanding for each and every student. I'm honored to share these conversations with authors, classroom teachers, education leaders, and staff developers with you. Thank you so much for listening in. In season two, my guests and I are digging deep into how do we teach for agency, equity, and understanding. And we are also curating stories of teaching and learning during this time. It is a great pleasure to have Beth Kelly joining us once again on PEBC's Phenomenal Teaching Podcast. Beth is a trauma-informed education consultant and wellness consultant for organizations, entrepreneurs, leaders, and teams, and the co-author of Teaching, Learning, and Trauma. Beth, it is great to see you again. Thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thank you, Michelle. I'm so happy to be here and excited for our conversation. Well, let's start out by reintroducing you and your work to our listeners, because many of them might not have caught the first episode. So who are you and how do you work with educators? Oh, thank you. So I am a psychotherapist and I worked in schools for 18 years. But I currently work as an education consultant, and I work with schools, school leaders, districts to just better understand that intersection between teaching, learning, and trauma. And the focus of my work, certainly the last year, is helping anyone connected into schools to build some resilience to sustain ourselves through this experience that we're having. Absolutely. And so I think it's interesting because you have walked alongside teachers for so many years and have really had opportunities to support students and individual teachers and school leaders and systems, really creating that that opportunity for wellness. So I'm really curious in your work right now, when it comes to educators specifically in their mental health, what are you noticing? You know, one of the things I'm noticing with the um, changing of the new year, and you look at us in winter, but we're getting extra sunlight is coming through and you can feel spring, right? And with the um, promise of the vaccine, and certainly I will say for me, the promise of the new uh, administration, that there is some more hope, I think, that we're feeling than we ever have. And yet, educators are still grinding it out. There's still so much uncertainty. There's so much um, ups and downs and still the model of learning and education is changing. And so I think many people feel this sense of hope. And yet they also feel this sense of like, oh, are we still doing this? And I just want to honor that both of those things are true. If that's an experience that you're having, it's just really normal. And, you know, I think that that is what I'm hearing from teacher after teacher after teacher is, like you said, on one hand, there's this lightness or this hope that it's a new year and things are certainly changing and schools are trying to get kids back to the classroom. But on the other hand, there's so much uncertainty and so many changes and the work continues to be an incredible lift. Yes. And and they're exhausted. Educators Mm -hmm. are exhausted. And they would be anyway at this time of year, right? As we're rolling into February is usually a tough month. Mm-hmm. So I love that we're talking today about some self-care practices, some practical self-care practices to really help support educators to sustain. Let's get to June. 
Well, that is exactly why I reached out for you for a second conversation, because I recently had an opportunity to pull a little focus group of teachers um, to talk about topics for the podcast, because as we head into season two, I really want to make sure that we're providing conversations that people want to listen to. And um, there was an overwhelming request for quote unquote self-care strategies but they were really interested in strategies that went on beyond things like baths, glasses of wine, walks, chocolate. Um, the group had a few laughs. And then there was this kind of collective sigh. And one of the teachers said, seriously, how are other teachers and people working from home or teaching from home setting boundaries? And how are they crafting their schedules so that they can keep up with the workload? And then another teacher jumped in and she said that she's having a huge struggle because she doesn't have a commute. And so she's having a hard time transitioning from, you know, teaching in her living room to then living in her living room. And so, of course, you came to mind and I just wanted to just tap into your expertise and, and hear what are you thinking? What are you finding? What might you recommend to this incredible group of educators who have quite a few more months left in the in the school year. I love that you talk about beyond the bubble bath because I, even though I'm a, a, a psychotherapist, I like to make fun of self-care because I think we all have this sense that it means, well, first of all, something outside of ourselves. So I really want to challenge that notion. It's not to say that you can't be soothed and feel cared for by a massage or a bubble bath or chocolate or wine but hopefully not too much wine, right? But self-care I think about is a practice that um, is an internal one. And it does require some personal accountability. And it requires a belief that if you have to do the things, you know, nobody's, it's like exercise or healthy living or any of those things. We have to start to build this practice. And I really want to encourage people as they think about building and creating their own self-care practice that we do it in small and intentional ways. This is not the time to say, well, I need to go to the gym seven days a week or I'm not taking care of myself and all of that, you know, mind mess that we get in when we start putting like super rigid expectations on a plan Mm -hmm. that this change happens slow and over time. Okay. Yeah. So that's interesting. hmm. Because slow and over time right now, I think everyone's looking for a silver bullet in some ways or like that quick fix. Like everything is hard. I'm exhausted. There's so much happening. What can I do? What can I do right now? Yes. And that's, I love what you're saying because if, if any of your listeners heard the uh, podcast I was on with Brooke, my co author, we talked about a really fundamental strategy right now, which is less is more. Mm-hmm. So, exactly. If you're exhausted, and you feel like you don't have enough time and you're having trouble keeping everything in balance, I say yes. And so what is possible knowing the reality that you're in? We cannot outlive our humanness. This Mm -hmm. is not about doing more, more, more. This is about taking a realistic inventory and saying, okay, in my exhaustion and my overwhelm and all of my responsibilities, what feels possible as an act of self-care today. Okay. Right? And yeah, it's great to have a plan that's an outline. But unless we're able to really slow down and assess and say, well, what's my energy level? It's low. Does that mean that I need rest? Does that mean I need time without any input? 
no podcasts, no Facebook, no television, maybe even no music, right? What feels possible when I'm in that place of exhaustion? Or does it mean if I don't need rest, do I need exercise? Do I need connection? Uh, uh Um, Right. So to really just sort of slow down and assess for yourself, where am I and what would be helpful for me right now? Knowing everything, you not the shoulds, not what you used to do 11 months ago, right? But just knowing what you know right now, what would feel like an act of self-care. So then less is more. Tuning into what do I need right now in today, this moment or in this week of time. Kind of, And I like how you said gauging energy levels, but then also trying to be really responsive to who we are as people. Because sometimes when we're tired, like you said, we need rest, we need to recharge. But other times we might get that kind of charge, if you will, from being with others or actually from exercising or, or doing something that's out of our, our kind of work life, if you will. That's exactly right. You know, and as you think about um, the gal in your group who was talking about how are other people doing it I just want to also say clearly nobody is doing this well Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's really easy to look and say someone else has it all figured out and they're doing a better job than I am but if you're able to release that and know that you are doing the best you can with what you got what feels possible in terms of creating some intentional transitions that's what I think about I, I think of them as mindfulness bookends Okay. To the activities that you are um, engaging in throughout the day. So let's take for a moment, how are you starting your day? Before you even get out of bed, do you reach for your phone and you're on social media or looking at the news? Do you have a morning ritual that helps you transition out of bed and into the workday or into time spent with your family or whatever responsibilities you might have in the morning? And so before you even get out of bed, are you taking three really deep breaths and setting an intention for the day, allowing the most important thing to be the most important thing? Let that bubble up and say, hey, for today, my intention is to be patient or my intention is to just get through it. Maybe it's a gratitude practice, again, before you're even out of bed to think, wow, what are three or five things in my life I feel really grateful for? Right. If your if your lifestyle allows you to have a cup of coffee, create a morning ritual, do some journaling, prayer if that's in your practice, but just something that is a moment of mindfulness and intentionality as you start your day. Mm-hmm. That's interesting because it just it's almost starting your day with a pause. Yes rather than just jumping out of bed and getting to it and worrying and stressing and trying to check stuff off the list as quickly as you can. That's right. So for educators, you think about code switching. How am I code switching out of sleep and into wakefulness? Mm-hmm. Right? Instead of just like, give me the coffee and my telephone and see, you know, and you're off and running before your, your nervous system has even had a chance to catch up. Mm-hmm. Right. You're already trying to click off two or three things off the to-do list before your feet have even touched the ground. That's right. Mm-hmm. So, and okay, love- Go we're, ahead. We're, we're missing the opportunity now for those of you that are working from home. We don't have the transition into work, the car ride, the bus ride, the subway ride. Mm-hmm. So even if you're working from home, thinking about how am I transitioning into work? How am I creating some ritual around opening my computer or looking at my to-do list? Um, 
it, are you jamming out to your favorite song like you might have in the car, right? Uh, what are some ways that you can transition and get ready to code switch again to say, okay, now I'm starting my work day in a way that's intentional and meaningful. Hmm. And that is something that, you know, the teachers in this focus group mentioned was this idea of transitions. It's really challenging. Um, and a couple of the, the teachers in the group also had children at home, their own children who were learning who are participating in virtual learning while they are trying to teach virtually. And they're just feeling like the whole day was meshing together. That's exactly right. And that is where we get to the end of the day, feeling a sense of exhaustion and overwhelm because we're unconsciously like on this hamster wheel, just moving, moving, moving. Yeah. And so these intentional transitions, they don't cost much. I'm talking about two or three minutes. So setting alarms on your phones, putting them into your lesson plans. These are also transitions that 100% should be incorporated into the beginning of a classroom. Absolutely. Or a class time, right? With a few minutes of mindfulness to help students transition into this different learning space. And when you think about how am I switching in between meetings, how am I switching in between roles? You know, I joke, anything that can happen in a 50-minute class period can happen in a 45-minute class period. And I know that one of teachers' most valuable assets is time. Mm-hmm. And I want to invite you to reconsider that taking five minutes at the beginning or ending of your class is extremely valuable right now to slow down, to reset to wrap up anything that needs attention from the meeting or the class that you just had to take a bio break if you need it and then to be thinking about how am I transitioning into my next thing my next activity and how do I want to show up there what do I need to be able to be fully present to engage in my next activity and again Michelle this is three or four minutes I mean five would be a luxury yeah Yeah. Um, And you will be amazed at how your sense of efficacy increases and your sense of capacity increases and your sense of just accomplishment because you have slowed down to take some time to assess and readjust. So just to pause for a second, you're making me think about this idea of like taking control or yeah, taking control of the clock, basically. Yes. That so many times and I've heard this over and over and again, and I've done it myself, when you've booked meeting to meeting to class to coaching session to online seminar to, you know, with with really no breaks. Yeah. We're starting something at 11, 12, 1, and 2.15. Yes. And then by the end of that day, you're right, you haven't even paused right. or even transitioned. And so one thing I'm thinking about from what you just said was this idea of intentionally almost building in, I want to say like passing periods. Yes. If we use like school vernacular, right? Like we need, and you said it doesn't have to be long, but that three or four minute stretch, bio break, jotting down the notes, closing some tabs. Yeah, we'll shifting your arms and legs, moving your body, <laughs> right? Shifting some energy. Um, you know, I did this the other day, I was on zoom from seven 30 to four with a half an hour break. And I got to the end of the day and my head hurt and my eyes hurt and I felt horrible. And I had to have a long conversation with myself and say, we talked about this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in charge of my schedule. 
And part of what you bring up that makes me think about, if I can just preach it for a minute, is that we have all the time we need. Mm. I mean, what if that were true? What if it were true that we have all the time we need and that we're in this mindset, especially the mindset of the educator that says more, 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 do, 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 which is one of the ways that the system um, allows for not paying educators, for burning out educators, right? You have good people who are mission oriented and they want to make a difference and they value their work. And that's where the boundary piece comes in around like, oh, how do I take time for myself and not be a selfish person, for example? Mm -hmm. And so if we were able to just slow down and kind of rethink that and say, wow, what if I actually have all the time I need? Because I am prioritizing what's important, including my own well-being and the well-being of my students and my kids and my colleagues and my coworkers. Mm-hmm. Like, how might that shift things for people? Well, and it's making me think about, you know, all of the school leaders and the instructional coaches and all of you know, those people who are supporting teachers directly on a daily basis. And it makes me think about school culture. Yes. How can we create opportunities for virtual teaching and virtual learning that also support the well-being of not only the teachers, but of the students? Because I'm thinking about the models that kids are seeing and what they're experiencing as well. Are they afforded transitions? Is there time to go outside? Um, do we have an opportunity for fun or for pleasure or for music in our day? Or are we, like you said, Zooming from 7.30 in the morning till 1.30 or 3 in the afternoon? That's right. And without that, no, so I'm guessing no, probably students are not having this role modeled and they probably have very little awareness about how to do this for themselves. Mm-hmm. And again, it's shifting that lens, especially if you're thinking from a trauma informed perspective and what our nervous systems are able to tolerate, the frontal lobes being offline, you know, everyone experiencing decision fatigue, all of the dysregulation. We need to value those things you just said fun rest, celebrating after the completion of a big project or an assignment in school Mm -hmm. before we go in that loop circle again of starting something new. Absolutely. Because yeah, building that in to your instructional practice is really critical both for you and for your students to just slow down and allow an exhale because you know, you, you are well-planned, you know, Brooke and I talk about planning as a form of self-care. Mm. Say a little bit more about that. Well, if you have built into your rituals and routines being well planned, you're not showing up messy and dysregulated and overwhelmed, right? And allow, if you're planning for the spaciousness that we're talking about, mm-hmm. for some intentional transitions, for just room for students to be able to be students in this crazy Zoom world and look at each other's cats and all of the things that are happening, <laughs> right? Right. What if we we planned for that? It didn't have to get so dysregulated and upset that we don't have enough time. It's a great act of self-care. And in your plannings, my hope is, where are the transitions, these intentional transitions? What is an act of self-care I'll be doing for myself today? How might we as a school community or in your classes start to build in some mindfulness practices, for example? 
and have that just as a val- as just a valuable part of your lesson plan as the standards that you're working so hard to meet. So Beth, you've helped us think about starting our day in different ways, like taking three breaths, practicing a little bit of gratitude, not freaking out and trying to get stuff done before we actually get our heads off the pillows. You've also helped us think about during the day as teachers and school leaders from the perspective of ourselves, but also from our students' perspective in kind of managing transitions, building in opportunities for mindfulness, planning as if we have all the time in the world we need, which is such a different paradigm shift. And you kind of being intentional about even taking care of our bodies when we're going to move, when we're going to eat, when we're going to, you know, get out of that chair. Help me think about the end of the day, because a lot of teachers in my focus group were really concerned about the transition from school to home and what happens in the evenings and what's happening with them. Like you mentioned, being on that hamster wheel, like the the continual work that continues to kind of cloud their, not cloud, but I'm trying to think of the right word. They can't seem to stop working. Yes. And so this is critically important, Michelle, is how are we ending the day? And again, without that commute home, for those of you that may have had it, and if you do have it now, I really want to encourage you to maybe not listen to the radio, maybe not listen to a podcast, maybe again, jam out to your favorite song roll down the windows, get some fresh air. When you stop at a stop sign, how can you have a couple moments of being fully present at a stoplight, actually, in the midst of all of the traffic and the chaos, to just notice what's happening around you? If you're working from home, I want to invite you to be thinking about what is a ritual I could create? It might be a one-sentence mantra, if you will, as you close the lid to your laptop that says, I've done working for the day and I've done my best. Mm-hmm. Or maybe that's when you have your gratitude practice and you think back to your day about one or two things that you're really grateful for or bright spots and light spots that happened in your day. I think it's really important to, maybe you're creating transition rituals as a family. If you're a parent and you have kids at home around turning off the computers and maybe it's 15 minutes to go outside or to come together as a family or to watch funny YouTube videos or whatever you do that just signals it's the end of our work day. Mm -hmm. If you are, you know, some people are working from home on laptops, like in their kitchen is their office that they don't have a space, right? So what's your ritual for putting those things away? Maybe you have a banker box and you put your computer and all your notebooks and stuff in it and you move it to a different part of the house until the morning. Um, And then how can you ask for what you need? And what I mean by that is if you have a partner or someone at home to say, hey, I I need 30 minutes and they schedule this into their day so that you could take a shower or you can go just lay on the bed and stare at the ceiling. You're going to hear me keep saying and really encouraging people to do activities that are not adding more input and stimulus. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. So how can I go veg out? You know, even when I worked in schools uh, in real life before the pandemic, I would come home, wash my face, brush my teeth, change my clothes. And that was my after school ritual. That was just a great signal. Quick and easy. Right. Mm-hmm. Very conditioning to home. So. Thinking it creatively, uh, again, this isn't like this is low hanging fruit. You know, this doesn't have to be a good grandiose announcement. But asking for help, um, taking a shower, unplugging, 
and communicating your needs with your family and even with your children to say, hey, you know, mom or dad needs 10 minutes, giving them 10 minutes to just have a moment that you can decompress and transition into your next role, whether it's parent, spouse, caretaker of an elderly parent, whatever you have going on in your life. So Beth, I absolutely appreciate the ideas that you're sharing. And true confession, I am not good at resting. I'm not really even very good at pausing. I feel like I slam the laptop and I jump up and I'm like defrosting some chicken. Like there's, right? Like I don't find that time or I have this other thing I have to do or, or there's more things to be done later. And so for those of us who struggle with pausing or resting or, you know, because I'm listening and I'm thinking that is an excellent idea. Can I physically take 10 minutes just to relax? I don't know. And so for those of us who maybe this is a new practice or not something that we particularly come to naturally in the best of times, what is your kind of direction to us? Yeah. So I want to <laughs> encourage you to explore something that I like to call permission. Mm, okay. And what if you were giving your, what if you would give yourself permission to, and you get to fill in that blank for some people that's to do something. But for some people, that's to not do something. Interesting. And that might be rest. That might feel restorative for you. It may be getting out for a walk. It may be visiting with a friend. I, I, my, my greatest hope is that you determine for yourself what feels rejuvenating, right? Not everybody needs the same thing. It's more about identifying what you do need and what feels restorative and giving yourself permission to do that. And if you can't, because that feels really hard, and there's lots of psychological things wrapped up for all of us in permission, right? We learned that from our, from our parents initially, would be to ask someone that you trust and love, say, hey, I'm working on, it's an experiment, Michelle, all of this is an experiment, right? right. And, and self-care plans are meant to be fluid and readjusted and tossed out when they're not working. So if in this experiment of permission, you were to ask someone that you love and trust to say, hey, I'm really working on this new thing and I want to give myself permission to rest or I want to give myself permission to know that I did the best I could today and I showed up, you know, in the best way that I was able to today. But I'm having trouble believing my own voice. Would you say those words? This sounds crazy, but would you say those words to me? Would you say, Michelle, I give you permission to rest? And it's a really powerful activity when we can hear those words, something happens to our, to our nervous system, to our spirit, to our psychology, right? That's like, I don't know, maybe it's possible. So I'll leave you with that as a challenge for your consideration about what do you need to give yourself permission to do? And maybe again, that's part of your uh, planning habits of one thing that I will give myself permission to do today, Mm -hmm. to not be perfect, to not get it all done to not have it all figured out. Those are all aspects of permission that can be really healing. I think that's so interesting to think about. And even just that shift in language, because you mentioned earlier that educators are generally very mission-driven, very hardworking, and take on a lot. And just that idea of giving oneself permission to change some of those habits seems life-changing. Yeah. Or just permission to be enough. Yeah, that's true. Right. What if just I give myself permission that I was enough today? Mm. 
wow. I mean, and that feels hard. Yeah. So I think, you know, the other topic that really came up for the teachers that I was talking with was this idea of boundaries. But I feel like by establishing transitions, by recognizing what we need, by giving ourselves permission to strive for what we need, we will in many ways create some of those boundaries. They are many boundaries, actually. Mm -hmm. That's what I think about that bookend piece of the mindful bookend as I think of it. They are little mini boundaries. that can just help fortify us throughout the day when the, when the intention of it is to check and see how I'm doing. Do I need to attend to any needs that I have? What's happening around me? And what are my next steps? Absolutely. So they're 100% little mini accessible boundaries. And it's a great way to practice as we um, maybe in future conversations dive into more uh, deeper into boundary work. This is a great starting place. Oh, and I think that would be great. And I think it will really be helpful in a month or so because everything keeps changing. And so, like you said, the idea of transitions as many bookends really do fortify some boundaries because you create kind of almost containers for your day and for your work and for the other parts of your life. But with so much change, it seems like the number of books in between the bookends is always changing. That's right. But if the bookends don't, you're able to modify and adjust and adapt in a better way. Yeah. Right? We have very little chance of being able to do those things when we're just unconsciously blasting through the day. I can exactly. tell you that. I can tell you that that strategy doesn't work. So we can keep doing it and that's okay, but it's probably not going to get us to where we want to be. <laughs> so as we wrap up today, a couple of recommendations you have for everyone who's listening is to create these bookends. We've got to figure out those mindfulness bookends that help us transition throughout our day so our day has the rhythm and the tempo that matches our energy level that's, that will help us sustain and be successful. That's right. That's actually doable and realistic. Yeah. And the second piece is around just getting curious about that permission concept that we talked about and how might we give ourselves permission to be enough. Or to get the things that we we really yearn for and need. Wow. Beth, thank you so much. I am so glad that we had a chance to connect today and that I reached out to you. And I'm just so grateful for the teachers in the group who really advocated for this conversation because I just think it's so timely right now. And I know that our time is just about up, but I'm thinking, is there anything else or um, any hopes that you have as we move forward into 2021? Yes, I just want all the educators listening to know that I hold such a deep place in my heart for you and that we all continue to move towards June on a path of intention and that we slow down enough to recognize also the joyful parts that are happening, right? And for some clarity as we move here into these next few months. Thank you. And for everyone listening um, who's interested in learning more about you and your work, like we mentioned before, you and Beth O'Drobanak wrote Teaching, Learning, and Trauma. Yeah, Brooke. Brooke. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, Beth, and Beth, Beth and Brooke. I've known her for 25 years. I know. So but your book is amazing. And it 
is so relevant right now. So I just want to make sure we have that plug for that work. And then also you do a ton of independent consulting. So I will put your website in the show notes in case anyone wants to check out your website, because I mean, in addition to Haiku Friday, which is like one of my favorite (laughs) things that you put on Facebook, there are just so many great resources and great quotes, and it just feels light and inspirational. So thank you for everything you're doing for teachers and educators and school leaders and, and, you know, the world in general. Thank you. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. And yeah, people are so inclined. They could go to my website and sign up to be on my mailing list. I don't spam. In fact, I probably should be writing more than I do, but I send out some blogs and funny stuff and uh, that I, I hope is helpful in supporting people. So thank you, Michelle, for having me back again. I look forward to seeing you soon in real life. Yes. Oh, yeah, I look forward to seeing you in real life. And I definitely am looking forward to that conversation on boundaries when in maybe a month or so. That sounds awesome. Hey, take care, Beth. You too. Take good care, everyone. Thank you for joining us today. We hope our time together provided inspiration and information. In closing, PEBC is headquartered in Denver, Colorado, and works both locally and nationally to cultivate agency, equity, and understanding, as described in Phenomenal Teaching by Wendy Wardhofer. We now provide customized virtual and on-site professional development, coaching, institutes, and digital courses. We also prepare new teachers via the PEBC Teacher Residency Program. Check us out at pebc.org.